Hello, today I am very excited to have a special guest with me and she, I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and what she does here in a minute, but I wanted to talk about how it relates to the big picture and the purpose of my podcast and some of the ongoing themes of why I'm so passionate about different things like authenticity, which um, she probably could have done five different podcast topics today and <laughs> she chose this one, Authenticity, and I'm so excited. So just to talk about how this relates to my overall theme um, before I introduce her, um, you may have heard me talk about developing a user's manual to yourself or a user's guide and understanding your package deal of strengths and weaknesses and we're all just never perfect but we have this really cool combination of strengths and weaknesses and we're not supposed to be good at everything but it's really important to know what we are good at and what we're not good at and mm -hmm. to get to peace with that and acceptance and valuing who we are and knowing who we are not trying to change it but just to celebrate it so um, anyway, and I do like to say we all have special gifts and we have disabilities. So, um, so Bethany Witted, is that the right pronunciation? Witted? That's the right, yes, okay. Witted, you got it. Witted, um, has a master's in IO psychology. And so she's an industrial organizational psychology practitioner. And um, so she applies psychology to the workplace she does a lot of behavioral assessments, leadership development, looks at team dynamics, um, and some really interesting tests and behavioral assessments, which she'll talk about, which relate to kind of finding more information about who we are and the right fit for ourselves in a work environment. And today she's gonna try to apply that more to individuals, um, talking about things like dominance, how extroverted you are, how patient you are, how formal you are. Um, she also does speaking, she does research, and she's very into people-related growth. And last thing, she is a senior consultant at Titus Talent Strategies. So, uh, oh, one more thing. <laughs> so cool, I just love how providential this is. So Bethany and I spontaneously met about a month ago Yes, at church, and my uh, family and I are rarely ever on time for church. We're usually <laughs> at least a few minutes late. You said you are often late, too? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we usually miss the little five-minute into the service, meet your neighbor, say hi to your neighbor. We were like in the front row or the second row, and you were right behind me. Yes, right up front. So I like turned around and you were the only person that seemed like I should say hi to. And then we started talking <laughs> and I was like, I love this person. I could talk to her for hours. Yes, completely. And then we found out because you've been listening to my podcast that we both have fathers who are sociology professors. Yes. Yeah. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy. So um, I'm so excited. Um, and it was meant to be. So Bethany, could you just start talking about authenticity or start anywhere you want. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. This is amazing to be here. I've been listening to a lot of your episodes and they're just so helpful. And so um, I love this topic of authenticity. I think it's key to really a well-lived life. Mm. So I talk about authenticity in the context mainly of leadership development. So meeting with teams of leaders and saying, 
you know, what does it look like to be an authentic leader? Because everyone wants to follow someone who's authentic and mm. it's not compelling to follow someone who's a hypocrite or who you feel like doesn't really stand for anything. Yes. So that's kind of the context I'm used to talking about authenticity in, but really it applies to everyone. And mm. it's so important for a well-lived life. Mm. Um, so I think of that quote, the unexamined life is not worth living. Well, I don't think the inauthentic life is worth living. Exactly. Authenticity is just completely core um, to our well-being and our legacy, really. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, so the way I define authenticity is what you do, what you say, what you believe, all lines up. It's one straight line. And of course, none of us do that perfectly. We mm-hmm. have more of a jagged line, but mm. the goal is to get those in alignment. Um, and it's when our, our head, our heart, and our hands all work together. What we do, what we say, what we uh, profess to believe, those all line up. And if you can think of people who live like this, like you think of maybe a friend or a leader in your life who is really authentic, there's a freedom that we all envy about them, mm. right? There's something immovable about them that any sort of external pressure can never take away. They're going to stay true to their values. They're going to live in congruence with their values. Um, and yeah, they, they live with nothing to hide, which mm. I think is the only way to live. Oh, I <laughs> love that. Live with nothing to hide. Mm. That would be an incredible podcast title. I might need to write that yeah. down in case we decide yeah. to call this <laughs> Wow. Live with nothing to hide. That's good. Yeah. I think that's such a journey. And even as I think about my own life, like um, in middle school, just that is a time of hiding. I feel mm. like mm. I feel like I was so working through just, um, you use this, I've heard you use this language before, but putting on an artificial facade. facade, Yes. Um, And I think as you get older, you kind of have to shed that and think about what, what do I really want my life to look like? Like, what are the values I want to shine through within my life and the things I'm going to stand by? no matter what happens. That's incredible. Like just valuing and celebrating who you are. And I feel like so many of these people that do hide and they're not at peace because they have some sort of narrative or lie they believe about themselves Mm -hmm. or devaluing their package deal of strengths and weaknesses, like maybe an introvert who thinks it's better to be an extrovert Mm -hmm. instead of celebrating all the strengths and amazing qualities and advantages that an introvert might have. Completely, yeah. So you mentioned, um, I I do a behavioral assessment called the predictive index. Okay. And we use that tool in leadership development. And um, I think somewhere along the way, I've heard people ask like, okay, well, what's a leadership profile? Like Mm. what's the best leadership combination of factors to have? And it's like, no, that's not how it works. The best profile you can be as a leader is the one you have, right? Like that's the one that you need to step further into Mm -hmm. and embrace the strengths and weaknesses that come with that. And actually, if you try to be a different profile, that's going to work against you. Oh, that reminds me of one of my favorite visual images of just being who you are is like the flower seeds that you put out there instead of going, oh, a rose is not as great as an iris or a lily or a Gerber daisy. I wish I was a Gerber daisy. It's like, they're all beautiful. And the diversity and the uniqueness of each one is so important. Mm. And, you know, so that's incredible. It must feel so good to see the light 
bulb go off in someone's eyes when you say the best leadership style is the one that you have inside yourself. Yes. Yes. Because I think a lot of people think about how can I emulate another leader? Yes. Um, and some of that's fine. You know, like there's mm -hmm. traits, there's character traits that you admire in another leader. But if you follow that to its fullest, you're basically just acting, right? Like you're forming your whole leadership style off of pretending to be something instead yeah. of bringing to um, flourish what is already within you. Right. That's so good. Another analogy maybe you could develop is, and I think it's just as true, um, I'm not an expert on the biology and the medical stuff, but if someone wants to be a sprinter, but they have the different muscles that make them more of an endurance runner mm. and not a sprinter, it's like the striated muscles or the red and the versus white, you know, but you know, that's kind of like a leader um, saying, I want to be a different type of leader than the strengths and the inner intrinsic kind of nature of who I am. So do you find that some people have trouble getting their head around that or being willing to just develop who they really are wanting to be something else or, or? Yeah, I think one common misconception is that, um, well, like, especially in leadership, mm -hmm. that there's has to be this big charisma, um, mm -hmm. to be a good leader. And that's the only type of persuasive leader that, that could be when really, um, it, it truly does take all types. Um, yes. so I think about myself and, my own boss currently, and we are like completely different profiles, mm. but she is so helpful for me. And if we were the same, we would not get as far. So I'm very flexible with rules, not detail oriented. Uh -huh. I think we're similar in that way. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm definitely not detail oriented. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you count on those people who can kind of put in structure, timelines, yeah. um, all those sorts of things. And if they, you know, if, if someone who is detail oriented looked at me and thought, man, if I could just be more flexible or whatever, yeah. they would lose that. And I would lose that gift in them yeah. too. So you yeah. need that complementarity and to make a better team. Right. Completely. That's really neat. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, I know before we started recording, we talked about definitions and I really like hearing your definition of authenticity. And one of the ones I looked up was called Wikidata. I guess it's related to Wikipedia. But it says that it's the degree to which one is true to one's own personality, spirit, or character, despite external pressures. So um, I really think that is so key is just figuring out who you really are mm. and then utilizing that and, and taking advantage of what you've been given and not devaluing your package deal. Yes. Yeah. I love that definition. Yeah. That's so cool. Okay. So unless there's something else you want to say about authenticity, can you talk a little bit more about why it matters? Yeah. So one of the biggest reasons authenticity matters is it's the basis for connection. So if you hide or if you're not willing to be authentic, you have no chance at connecting with people. And the extent to which you're willing to be authentic with someone is the extent to which you're going to have connection with them. Mm -hmm. So this, um, in my context, so leadership development, this one's hard for leaders because they want to look like they have it all together, right? They mm -hmm. want their followers to maybe think that they're perfect mm -hmm. or just no holes in their competence. Mm -hmm. When what that does is it actually can break down trust because trust is the currency of influence, trust is the currency of leadership, and it's the basis for relationships. Mm. I'm, I'm sure you talk a lot about that as a, yeah. 
as a counselor. And so no trust, no relationship. Mm-hmm. Authenticity, authenticity mm-hmm. is like the, like skyrockets trust. It's the fuel behind trust. We yeah. have to be authentic um, to get connection. So when I think about why authenticity matters, it's connection. And we can think about that with um, your relationship with yourself and your relationship with others. So the first one, your relationship with yourself, authenticity, you know, we know whether we're being authentic or not. Mm-hmm. And when we tell a white lie, when mm-hmm. we give ourselves the most flattering story, um, when we step outside of our values and we conform to group pressure, we feel that. Like mm-hmm. you feel that somewhere deep inside you. You feel your internal peace disrupted. Mm-hmm. You have a harder time sleeping. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's your ingrained conscience, right? Now, some people harden that. And at that point, they lose their sense of humanity, right? Life just becomes a game of chess, a game of mm. getting ahead. But you're disconnected to things like truth and beauty and courage. Um, so for our, your relationship with yourself is huge because you're always going to be in relationship with yourself to some right. extent. So it's important that you respect yourself. Mm-hmm. It's important that you understand um, that you're honest with yourself mm-hmm. and that you, you will respect yourself to the extent that you're living in congruence with your values. So it's so important to have that that relationship with yourself. And then of course, secondly, your relationship with others is um, completely tied to your ability to be authentic, to be relationally transparent. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you have so much more to say on this is Mm -hmm. telling people how you're actually feeling. Like I listened to one of your podcasts on uh, assert, assertive communication. Oh, yes. That's certainly part of being authentic. Right. Wow. Yeah. And and it that reminds me of the idea of false advertising. Um, in fact, I am rarely confrontational. You can analyze me in the behavioral <laughs> assessment on this. I need to work on it, honestly. That's probably one of my biggest areas of growth as a person and as a therapist. And um, I recently was for me a little bit bold and I told a client who you know shared something she had said to her in-laws that sounded a little harsh and a little bit like ooh you know to me mm. um and and so I said to her are you really depicting this the way it happened and I said because you're kind of making it sound like you were really hard on them but I know that you're also a very helpful giving person and you're very guilt prone. So I'm just wondering, is that really the way this happened? Are you kind of depicting it a little bit in an extreme way and not Mm -hmm. telling me something? And she was like, and I said, I'm going to play the devil's advocate. Well, she loved it. She loved that I was challenging her and she thanked me like three times because I, and I, this is, (laughs) it's going to surprise people. She said that I said to her, well, you're making yourself sound like you were an asshole. (laughs) And so I was like, did I really say that? Because I saw her after that. And I was like, well, I was just trying to say you're making it sound like you were really harsh, Mm. you know. And um, and so she had left out some nonverbals like she was hugging her in-laws when she said that to them. (laughs) And she was laughing. Yeah. But um but they were offering to help. And she basically was like, you've overstayed your welcome. Hmm. I don't want your help. And I was like, wow, okay, this is a little interesting here, but it was, you know, I did it, I think pretty tenderly, but it's not easy for me to even do that. And she was so grateful because she said, I want you to be hard on me Mm. because I know that sometimes I need that. So 
false advertising, that was a big tangent, but maybe it will bring up some examples for you. Um, and like, you know, are we being who we are? Are we being something else? Are we yeah. really being accurate about our strengths and weaknesses? Oh, yeah. And I think so. When you say that, it makes me think of, um, and maybe there's high schoolers listening to this podcast, ah. but that I think is a period of time where I feel like I was operating out of the mindset of you're not good enough. So yeah. you've got to pretend like and you're building your resume and you're thinking, how do I turn this you know, three week internship into something that sounded like it was way more than it was. Yeah. You're showing up to an interview and you can't even imagine admitting a weakness on an interview. Um, and it's funny cause now I, like I recently interviewed for a job and, um, ended up not taking it, uh -huh. but, um, they asked me about my weaknesses mm. and <laughs> I was like, yeah, I want you to know my weaknesses yeah. because you know, I don't want you to hire me if this isn't a good fit. Um, and so I was like, wow, there's, there's such freedom that comes with commitment to authenticity yes. because you're living with this belief of I'm, I'm going to get the things that come with me living in the truth. And I don't want things that come with me putting on that facade or that spin, because that would just land me somewhere that wouldn't be appreciative of my uniqueness. Yeah. Well, and that's one of those narratives or lies we could believe is that if we hide things, we may convince ourselves if I told someone this, they wouldn't hire me. Or if I was my real self with this person, they wouldn't want to be my friend. And then you end up kind of living in secrecy or, or like you said earlier, yes. you're not at peace with yourself because you know, it's not authentic. Um, and, and oftentimes when we are more honest, we're more likely to get the job, to make the friend. But so many of us live with the imposter syndrome like crazy. Completely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this is probably like a, a silly example, but uh -huh. just to say that authenticity impacts every part of the way you present yourself. So, you know, if you believe like for females, especially just believing like they're not good enough appearance wise uh -huh. and fighting that battle their entire life mm -hmm. instead of embracing, you know, what they have. And so I think that's right. really relevant for, I mean, you probably counsel like teenage girls who are dealing with this, but I remember as a teenager, I wore self tanner all through my teenage <laughs> years. And I remember being petrified of people knowing that I had pale skin. And that was something that I just had to keep up, keep up, keep yeah. up. Um, and it, it did like it, it kind of put me, I was a little afraid, you know, yeah. of losing that uh, facade, yeah. which kept me from, you know, being the, being all I could be, being courageous, being authentic, those types of things. Right. And then you probably felt a little bit like an imposter and you convinced yourself yes. being pale wasn't, wasn't as good as being tan. And that's not true. Completely. Yeah. So very superficial off, offshoot, but it does pervade every aspect yeah. of how we present ourselves. That's so interesting. But yeah, they, the being, I mean, I think being having imposter syndrome probably is like 90 or 95% of the population in some way. Completely. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. Like middle school, high school is probably one of the hardest times is whatever we think this is who I need to be, or we're not at peace and valuing and celebrating who we are. We think we have to be something different and that's a crime. Yeah, completely. And I think imposter syndrome, um, there's, it's kind of good to live with a little bit of healthy imposter syndrome mm -hmm. in the sense that 
you're always challenging yourself to do a little more than you thought you could do. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you're just going to stick to the things that you feel yeah. like. I'm not an imposter here. I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, like one of my favorite authors, Caitlin Flanagan, mm-hmm. um, she has, I remember listening to her on a podcast and she's just a brave writer to me. Mm-hmm. And she said on one, on a podcast that she, she lives being a little bit embarrassed all the time. And I think what she she meant by that, or at least what I took by that, is that she's constantly putting herself out there. Like, Mm. she's constantly taking a risk and being vulnerable. And the things that she's saying and the things that she's writing and she's being authentic. And there's there's a little bit of embarrassment that comes when we put ourselves out there, when we choose to be authentic. But we get, like, that. it's a muscle that grows. Like, Mm. when you feel that embarrassment, it's almost like that. um, It's like you're working out your authenticity muscles, and they're getting a little sore. But it's going to get stronger over time. Yeah, that's so good. There's a really good quote that I wish I could remember, but it reminds me of what you just said about Caitlin Flanagan. Something like, if you're not doing something every day that makes you a little bit scared, then you're not, Mm. like, growing Um, And there is a book called Do One Thing Every Day That Scares You, Mm. which I think is really good, especially for people that have like social anxiety or they're kind of avoidant or self-protective and and very anxious. Um, You know, it's like push yourself a little, not too much, you know, but push yourself because if you keep yourself in a comfort zone and you don't put yourself out there. Um, like that man in the arena quote. Have you heard yeah, that? Uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Roosevelt, one yeah. of the Roosevelts. Yes, I think it was. Um, but I'll have to check out Caitlin Flanagan. It sounds so good. You know, and in a way, this actually relates a lot to me in this podcast. And I tell people all the time, and I think I've said this multiple times, is you have something to offer. You know, everyone has something to offer, even if it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I probably could and, and sometimes do have imposter syndrome on any episode because yeah. I'm never an expert on everything. Like, I don't have time. I really don't want to specialize. I like doing being kind of a, a jack of all trades, master of none. <laughs> and I like to give sort of my two cents worth or the tip of the iceberg on topics just to get people thinking about them. But I'm not an expert on authenticity or an expert on, you know, certain types of personality disorders. I have expertise in those areas, but it's sort of like, I know 25% of a lot of areas instead of 95% of one or Mm. two, you know? So it's like an intro to me. Most of what I talk about is an intro and kind of a bird's eye view. So Right. But that's why you're an expert on this stuff like authenticity <laughs> and leadership. And, um, and I think leadership styles could be interesting to bring into that. I don't I'm not an expert on that either, but I have read some and I think it's fascinating to look at. We need different types of leaders and that's why we need different types of personalities mm-hmm. in leadership. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah. So even going back, thinking about those. Um, predictive index assessments and, and the leadership styles that come out of those. Um, and I think one of the one of the beauties of being a great leader is you understand your strengths, you understand your weaknesses, and you're able to own them. Right? You're not um, you're not overly egotistical about your strengths, and you're not bashful of your mm-hmm. weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Um, but you own both of those things. And then you're you're also not saying like authenticity isn't saying 
this is me, accept it. You know, I'm not going to budge either way, mm -hmm. but learning as a leader how to flex in, in different situations and mm. um, without, you know, you're not compromising on your values. You're not compromising on the things that matter most to you, but you're shifting in ways that serve your followers. Yeah. Well, um, you just use the word boastful, right? Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, well, that might feed in a little bit to this next question of where does authenticity start? I think we've already touched on that, but I feel like there are a lot of false narratives people have about what is a healthy level of confidence and then what is a healthy level of humility and where do you get into like unhealthy humility um, or being overly arrogant or, or needing to pretend you're perfect or say, you know, everything. Um, so, yeah, and that, I guess, relates to also what gets in the way of authenticity. Where does it start? Yeah, I love this topic. So um, one of the things I talk about is self-awareness versus self-consciousness. Mm. So if you think about the difference between what's, what's someone who's self-aware versus self-conscious, when we're self-aware, we really want to know who we are, how people experience us, where our strengths are and where our blind spots are. And we want to know those things for the purpose of getting better, of growing in competence. When we're self-conscious, that is um, a place of our ego is involved. Mm -hmm. So we're thinking about, we, we kind of want to know what people think of us. We want to know what our strengths are because it makes us feel really good. And we want to know what our weaknesses are because we want to hide them. and We don't want people to see them, mm. but it's actually not so much for getting better it's not so much for becoming a better leader or growing in competence and developing our weak areas. It's actually so that we can continue our reputation management. Mm. So when we're in a self-conscious mindset, we're very aware. We want to know what other people are thinking about us, but mm. uh, we're afraid of it. There's that factor of fear in there too, whereas self-aware self -aware leaders are not afraid of self-knowledge. Um, maybe they are, but they step into it with courage and they mm -hmm. want to hear it. They want to hear honest feedback from their followers and they, they use it to grow, not to smush it, make sure no one else hears about it, Yeah, <laughs> but to actually grow. And so when, when we talk about, you know, being boastful or being egotistical, ego kills good leadership. Mm. Ego kills your legacy. Ego kills uh, your adherence to your values. Um, I think it's one of the biggest things that gets in the way of um, authenticity. And so, um, because it's all, it takes us away from the actual goal of, okay, what are my values and how do I live a life consistent with those values? So I think even when we're thinking about where does authenticity start, mm -hmm. actually the first step is not thinking about what my strengths are. I think that's an important step, mm. but I think the first step is thinking, what are my values? Mm. Because now I'm thinking outside of myself. I'm thinking, what are the things that matter to me? And not to be too dramatic, but like yeah. that I would die for, like even yeah. more than life and life itself. And so there's, I think there's a lot of anxiety and depression these days. And a lot of it is um, exacerbated by an, an introspection and over focus on self, right? Mm. So even if I start out, if I'm trying to help someone grow in authenticity, I'm not going to start out by saying, oh, well, let's think about your strengths and weaknesses. Because mm -hmm. what does that do more inward, more focus on the self? No, I want to know what do you really care about more than anything? 
And that gets people to think outside of themselves. Mm. What are the causes in the world that I really care about? So yeah, I, I wonder how this relates to like a clinical perspective, yeah. like, cause you're in the business of getting people like people change, right? Yeah. And people growth. And so how do you get someone who is in the throes of maybe anxiety or depression to think about what's really important to them? Yeah. Wow. That's so good. Like seeing the bigger picture and in the big scheme of things, this also sounds morbid. I've asked people before, what do you want people to say about when you die? Mm, yeah. About your question or have on your tombstone. Um, which really is kind of related to what you said is like the legacy. And I would love for you to develop that further. I'm laughing because you and I are both like leaning so close <laughs> together that I might move this in the middle a little bit. Um, yeah, yeah. It's good. The leaning forward. <laughs> That's a good, <laughs> good nonverbal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is exciting. Um, yeah. What, what, um, but I can, I, I know you kind of were asking like, how do you get people to, to sort of change that or look at, what really matters to them instead of being so self-conscious? Yeah, like how do you get people to think outside of even just like their own growth and healing, mm -hmm. but thinking about what is their purpose in life? Yeah. Like what do, who are the people they want to serve? What's the impact they want to have? Yeah. Yeah. I love to use tests like the Enneagram mm. to sort of develop some of that sense of self that we were talking about earlier is what is your unique mission, purpose, and some people, if they're, you know, a peacemaker or they're an enthusiast and, you know, what, what do they value? Is it adventure? Is it helping? Is it achieving? Is it trying to like make everything better? And, and of course, any of those traits can be taken to an extreme. I think that a lot of our greatest strengths, the last 20% of them may be becoming a weakness, mm -hmm. yeah. um, being too perfectionistic or too obsessed with achievement or too obsessed with helping, you know? So, but yeah, what are you passionate about and using tools and tests? Like we've talked about the big factor five, you and I have the Enneagram, um, and really just honing in on what is unique about you? Because I think we are truly all gifted and we all have disabilities. And some of those paradigms that I just keep talking about are part of what I think can help people come to peace with who they are, what they're here for, how they're wired. And we may not all like the way we're wired, but it's kind of like that flower analogy. Mm. It's like, you might've wished you were a rose, but you're a Gerber daisy. Like a <laughs> lot of people like Gerber daisies a lot better, but it doesn't matter. Just be your fullest self because you're part of this big cosmic team and we need you. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think you have to know where you wanna go and then you have to understand what vehicle you're in, which yeah. would be like yourself, right? Yes. So like the starting point, where do you want to go? Like, where do you want to get what's important to you? Okay. That's great because now people are thinking about, um, they're getting more motivated, right? Mm -hmm. Like when we, when we talk about coaching in the workplace, the first thing we do with someone that we're trying to help, trying to coach is we ask them to set a vision. Mm -hmm. So cast a vision for where you want to go um, because we want them to be motivated to reach their vision rather than us saying, um, you know, this is where you should go. Yeah. This is what you should do. Yeah. And so once they've cast that vision, we can say, okay, well, well what car are you in that mm -hmm. you're going to get there in? And what is it like? What are the strengths? What are the weaknesses um, that you're going to use to get there? And that really 
I think brings the the full picture together because people have a an idea of of what they want to do that's self-motivated. Right. Yeah, and then maybe exploring you know, what makes you want to do that and what are the odds this will work out for you um, if you hate science but you want to be a doctor. <laughs> right. That may not go very well, yeah. you know. Um, or this just popped into my mind for the first time. Um, if you're six foot seven and you want to be a gymnast, that usually doesn't work. Yeah. You know, not that I've ever seen, but <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there are exceptions. Um, so did you get a chance to answer, finish, like what gets in the way of it and where does it start? Yeah. So, okay. What gets in the way? Um, I think it is important to bring up this concept of we've got our values that we want to live by. But we also have a set of junk values, and these mm. are our competing values that tempt us, that draw us away from the person that we really want to be, um, and they they lead us astray. Mm. And um, junk values is a good word for it because it's kind of like junk food. Yeah, tastes good. <laughs> it's um, it's it satisfies us in the short term. But then when you get five years down the road and you look back at your life and you've been falling for your junk values you are like, wow, how did I get here? Where did I end up here? Where did I go wrong? So just as it's important to identify your core set of values and just to give you like examples. Yeah. My values are truth, servanthood, faith, and uh, stewardship. Mm. So those are the values I want to live by. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but then I have a set of junk values and common junk values would, would be things like a short-term orientation. So mm. if, if you're too oriented toward the short-term, um, that's not going to serve you in the long-term. Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, pleasure or happiness in and of themselves, they're typically byproducts of living by your values, but if they are your guiding principles, uh, if you wake up and pleasure is your guiding principle, mm -hmm. it's gonna be a day of playing video games and drinking alcohol or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, another, let's see, some other common junk value values would be, um, like expedience over meaningfulness. Mm. So wanting what is quick. Yes. Valuing schedule is, or over mm. like maybe quality time. It's like, we have to stay on schedule, even if we're having a really meaningful conversation or something. Yes. Yeah, totally. And so when you think about like your life and your days in the lens of, what are my values and what are my junk values and where did I serve my junk values when I meant to serve my true values? Uh, you start kind of coming awake and realizing, well, where does this lead over the course of a year, two years, three years, five years? What about yeah. a lifetime of uh, not fighting my junk values? What, yes. Where do I end up? Wow. That's so good. You know, I was at a party right before Christmas and the family who hosted it had this tradition. And of course I'm going to forget what they called it. Um, maybe it'll pop into my head here in a second, but it was something like, here's, um, one thing that I want to celebrate and here's one goal that I have and, um, it's some kind of tradition from another country. And so I had to stop and think like, what is my goal for the, um, new year? And I said to prioritize what really matters. Hmm. And of course, how many times have I thought about that in the last 50 days? Not too many. I mean, I, I do generally, and this is a trait, a good strength with ADHD is we tend to see the big picture. And so I do see the big picture, but I'm not intentional or routine or 
strategic as much as I should be, but I do, you know, often think like what matters the most, mm-hmm. but I also want to overcommit, which is a weakness of ADHD. I'm unrealistic and squeeze too much in, you mm-hmm. know, but, um, what really matters and yeah. And of course we need balance. We need to be able to play a video game or I love antiquing and thrifting. Yes. (laughs) And some days I'm like, oh, this is my day off. Should I record a podcast, catch up on notes, or should I go antiquing, (laughs) you know? And I could spend every single day off doing that kind of stuff, looking at art and Mm. all that stuff. (laughs) We should do that sometime. I know that would be (laughs) really fun too. Yeah. Oh, it's so fun. But, um, but yeah, like where's that balance of how much time have you wasted where you could have had a sense of satisfaction um our son loves video games and he and he really loves um you know landscaping and he likes planting things and he likes going and i don't know where this came from out of the blue i mean sort of comes in the family a little bit especially on my husband's side but he likes to go to the barn nursery and the nature center and but it's like would you have rather spend four hours this weekend playing video games or would you prefer to go and plants and stuff in the yard, you know? Right, right. Yeah. I mean, rest is another really important component of life. And I think gears you up to to be authentic. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) certainly not a proponent of cutting out all your completely chilled downtime. Like that is such such a valuable thing. And Mm -hmm. there's things that are restful that are also um, from uh, like a faith perspective, glorifying, right? And Mm. um, there, you can't get to a point where you, I guess you could idolize your impact mm. and put too much pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's not, um, which I think also comes back to a worldview question of like, is it on us to save the world? <laughs> and right. if we don't live by our values, will the world crumble? And if you believe in a higher power that's greater than all of that, then there's rest in that. Mm, yeah. Where you don't have to over-function and overdo and worry yes. and fret over things you can't. We have very limited control over outcomes sometimes. Completely. But so we have to, we do our best while also just resting in the knowledge that things are going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. I love, this has been kind of a theme in my life of these two concepts of determination and surrender. Ooh, So you've got to have a level of determination. Like you've got to have a purpose. You've got to have your values. You've got to, you, I really think everyone needs to have answers to the questions. Who am I? Why am I here? You know, why does life exist? Um, But you also have to have surrender Mm. and surrender, I think requires having some sort of higher power that you can trust. Well, Mm -hmm. you have to have faith in something. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how do you, how do you stop? Like, how do you stop working? How do you stop striving? Right. Um, And, and those two actually work really well together because if you're able to be determined, but also surrender the outcome, now you're able to be courageous rather than controlling. Yeah. Well, I love the idea of maximizing our potential effects or contributions but in a healthy way mm-hmm. where you don't kind of, like you said, try to over control or, or just run yourself ragged and have be kind of delusional about the fact that we can transform everything we want to transform. But so many people, because they don't have that basic belief and foundation that they are gifted, that they have superpowers mm-hmm. or that they don't have the right leadership style or they don't have the right personality. They tell themselves these lies and these narratives that, that just become a self-fulfilling prophecy and it's really heartbreaking because they're really selling themselves short and lacking 
they don't develop their potential because they don't see how gifted they are, mm. you know, or they, they kind of want to be the, a different type of person than they really are. Mm. Um, and, you know, yeah, I mean, Albert Einstein had some really weird disabilities. He couldn't remember, I think it's his phone number. You can Google this. There's all kinds of things that he couldn't do. And somebody that didn't know who he was on a train might think he was an idiot or he was slow. Oh, wow. But, you know, he had the best, the highest IQ or one of the highest IQs. Actually, I Googled this maybe a year ago and maybe he was like the 10th or 15th highest IQ they yeah. ever measured. I always thought he was the smartest person who ever lived, but I don't think that's true. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, everyone is gifted and there's such important work for everyone to do. Yeah. Um, and yeah, again, going back to like the worldview, you know, if you have a worldview that says we're created, then you can't get away with the thought of, I don't have anything to do here or yeah. I, I'm, there was a mistake. I'm not exactly how I was supposed to be. Yes. And so not that, not that having a, like a faith-based answer to those questions mm -hmm. solves your problem, mm -hmm. but it does give you a groundwork, right? Like something oh, yeah. you can always go back to. Yeah. Yeah. And for you and I, we might say, why did God create this person? What work are they here for? Someone who doesn't believe in God might say, you know, the universe has me here for this reason or yeah. fate or like, but you, you are needed. And it's, it's harder for some people to figure out what they're supposed to do because some people don't give themselves permission to be an artist or be a dancer mm. or be a landscaper or, you know, or my parents didn't want me to be a teacher because teachers don't make enough money, which they definitely don't. <laughs> um, but, you know, just permission to really consider anything. If you yes. have a passion for something, yeah. you know, uh, we have a daughter that loves doing fingernails and cosmetics. And I have to admit, sometimes I'm like, sweetie, I know that's good for people to pamper themselves, but do you really want to spend the rest of your life <laughs> on uh, physical appearance issues? And it's like, we need that though, yeah. you know? And I, sh I'm, I don't need to suppress that just because that would never have been something I would have enjoyed. Right. Um, so, um, okay. What other topics? Um, so any other um, pieces of advice on how people can step into greater authenticity? Yeah. So I think the first thing on that is to decide you want to be authentic, mm. which is a big decision because it's, it's not an easy route. We can't assume everyone wants to be authentic. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. And then you do have to kind of like weigh the pros and cons for yourself. Um, so you have to decide, yes, living authentically is going to be hard. Um, it's, it's going to require me to maybe feel a little embarrassed at times, maybe challenge myself, put myself out there, but it's going to be worth it. And it's mm. going to be so much better than the alternative of playing small, of not recognizing my gifts and, you know, who's going to miss out on that. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to decide that it's going to be worth the investment to be authentic as a starting point. And once you've decided, yes, this is, I, this is a worthy goal. Um, I would say like baseline authenticity is don't lie. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like, um, that gets you to like your baseline. Mm -hmm. And that is so important. Don't lie um, to yourself. Don't tell white lies. I'm not talking about ethical dilemmas, mm -hmm. you know, like hiding Jews or something. That's mm -hmm. not where we're going with this. I'm talking about <clears throat> saving your butt by lying, <laughs> like yeah, saving the cons, like trying to stop the consequences of the, the truth from falling out. 
And that that's in um, big things, of course, but I think more often for the, the person who's like listening to this podcast and wants to be authentic, I would really encourage you to, to practice telling the truth fully in small situations where it's tempting or you're in a habit of saying something that's just a little more self-flattering. Mm-hmm. So a small example of this, this was actually right before I saw you this past Sunday in church. Oh, um, I'm, I'm, I think I might've hit on this a little bit, but um, I'm not someone who keeps track of things. Well, I, <laughs> some would say I lose things a lot, but to me, it's more like, I just don't know where everything is all the time. Yeah, like it's I, here somewhere. I, right. I temporarily displace uh-huh. it. I'm not very mindful. Like I'm, uh-huh. I've noticed I'm on autopilot most yes. of the time. <laughs> so, yes. Um, so I, I was, we were on our way to church that morning, my husband and I, and he reached for my hand and realized I didn't have my wedding rings on. Oh. And so he's like, where are your wedding rings? And um, in my mind, I'm like, you know, there's some, like they're somewhere. I don't yeah. quite know where they are. Yeah. And so the temptation in that moment was to spare myself the consequence of saying, I don't know where they are and say, right. oh yeah, they're like, they're probably on the bathroom counter. I just yeah. forgot to put them on this morning. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of like, I could have said that and we could have had a peaceful ride to church, but instead I was like, I misplaced them. I don't know where they are. Yeah. I have no idea (laughs) to be honest. Yeah. Like I'm sure they're around here somewhere, but I don't know. And of course he didn't love that answer and it wasn't the peaceful ride to church that it could (laughs) have been. He was stressed out. Yeah. But I have noticed in those small moments where I decide like not to do the easier route. Mm -hmm. Um, and even like, I think I don't want anyone to think I'm better than I actually am. Mm -hmm. Like if, if I'm going to, if I'm going to lead them astray, like let's have them think, it's even worse than it is. So, um, yeah. So in those small moments where you do decide to tell the truth, yes, there's consequences. You rock the boat. You might not have that peaceful ride to church, Yeah, but there's a freedom that comes with it. You build trust and trust in yourself too. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, if you, if you make a habit of even small lies, it's hard to trust yourself. It's Mm -hmm. disrupting your relationship with yourself. Okay. So, um, decide you want to be authentic, don't lie ever. Yeah. <laughs> and then proactively being authentic is identifying what your values are and then aligning your habits with your values. So mm-hmm. once you've decided, you know, these are the things I really want to live for, you think about your day to day and you think about what are those habits that are pulling me away from that and what are those habits that are that are serving those things. Um, and so it could be a practice of generosity. Gen- mm. Generosity is one of your values. And you think, well, how do I, how do I weave that value into my day-to-day life? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's carrying something around that you can give to someone, you know, granola bar or something that's hungry, or maybe it's pra- the practice of tithing. Um, but you have to take it from abstract to practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want your values just to live up in the sky, right? They've got to come down into concrete behaviors that that get you closer to that. And from there, it's just a practice of building courage and discipline to live a life consistent and accepting that authenticity is not about being perfect. Mm -hmm. It's about um, living transparently Mm -hmm. and and striving for striving to be better, um, but being really wholeheartedly committed to the truth and your values and deciding that the peace and the legacy that comes with that is is worth any consequence that you could face for it. For sure. Um, 
I remember years ago Googling the idea of being free to fail and I found a good article on it, but also just the freedom to be imperfect because that is authentic because we are all imperfect and we are not supposed to be good at everything. And, and so why hide things that are universally true? Yeah. And factual. And and it makes me so sad for people that are raised in homes where they feel like if they don't make the grades or they don't weigh a certain amount or look a certain way or choose the right profession in their parents' eyes or someone they're not going to be loved as much or they're not as accepted. Um, and so they don't feel free to fail. And that's why they lie. I mean, the self-compassion, mm. not that's not why everyone lies, but even you, your temptation to lie about your wedding rings, um, you know, if you feel like you've been teased about losing things or being disorganized or shame that comes yes. with that instead of sort of a, hey, like, you got a lot of traits, a lot of great, great qualities and strengths, but find that keeping things organized isn't your strong point. We love that about you. You're adorable. <laughs> it's cute. You know, I have a client that she's clumsy and she loves to just, she thinks it's funny. And she tells people I'm clumsy and her mother will be like, no, you're not. And she's like, but I am. And I think it's fun. And I like to laugh about it. Mm. You know, she's okay with like the fact that she's clumsy. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, that's like part of humility and to me you can't have joy without humility mm-hmm. and so embrace like the self-compassion the being able to own your weaknesses live transparently if you're hiding it's so much harder to laugh it's so much harder to connect with people and yeah you just can't access joy so right and also maybe trying to look at why do I hide that mm. or why what am I tempted to lie about and why is that you know, and that's one thing I love doing for clients is giving them a, a, what I would call kind of a healing or reparative environment or relationship where they could tell me anything. Yes. And I wouldn't care. I wouldn't, I would half the time. I don't even remember that they made that mistake, (laughs) that they were so reluctant to tell, but they slowly test out to see if I tell this person this, are they going to judge me? Are they going to still respect me? And they didn't maybe get that from one or both parents, Mm. you know, or they, you know, I had a a client one time years ago, it really threw me for a loop. She just out of the blue said she won the state tennis tournament. And I was like, really? I didn't even know you played tennis. I'm like, that's incredible. And I play tennis. Like, so that really resonated with me. Like, wow, how did I not know this? That was my favorite sport growing up. I went out to the lobby and told her, mom, that's so great that she won the state tennis tournament. And normally I don't bring up confidential information, but that didn't seem confidential. Her mom's like, what? You don't even play tennis. What? And I was like, my mind was blown. I'm like, okay, I didn't see that coming, you know? And it actually really did affect Mm. my trust in her. I mean, this was years, this was probably 15 years ago. But I started thinking if she would lie. Now, if I said to her, have you ever smoked weed? And she goes, no. And I found out that was a lie. That wouldn't affect my trust at all, really. Mm. (laughs) I mean, I know that. Well, I shouldn't say at all, but it would make sense. Like you hide things like that because you're afraid. What is she going to do? Is she going to tell my parents? Am I going to get kicked out of school? But to just fabricate something like that, to me, out of the blue, I was like very baffled. And Mm. I never really got to the bottom of why um but anyway um no that is that is fascinating mm-hmm. um yeah i guess i mean what, what possible motivation could there be for that yeah. other than 
in this moment right now, I would like someone to be impressed with me. Like right. I'm hungry for that. Right. And maybe I can get that if I throw this statement out there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's sad. It speaks to just a complete lack of, um, I, I starved for encouragement, right? Yeah. So many people are starved for encouragement. Yeah. And if she'd been less specific, it might not have even come out. Like if she'd just been like, oh, I, I played really well in a tennis tournament, I would have been like, that's awesome. It's incredible. But it was such a big thing that she said. I thought, whoa. Yeah. You know, um, but um, one other little thought that popped into my mind is how we sometimes overdevelop certain aspects of ourself and our identity. And I think it's an interesting paradox to we do really want to develop our greatest strengths and, and, you know, kind of what our superpowers are. But sometimes we get so into the extremes of I'm the perfectionist, I'm the overfunctioner, or I'm the quiet one, or I'm the loud one, I'm the generous one, mm-hmm. I'm the careful, cheap, frugal one. That, and that's been an interesting philosophy for me is to think about practicing the opposite sometimes. Yeah. And that sounds contradictory or maybe like a paradox, but I think life is full of paradoxes, both and like develop your greatest strengths as much as you can, but also realize maybe the the other side that if you are so easy and good at talking or being social, sometimes like don't talk as much, mm-hmm. you know, or for the people that say, oh, I'm the quiet one. I just listen. It's like, well, maybe you should practice talking more. Yeah. Yeah. Having a growth mindset. Yeah. Because um, some of those statements um, are good if you say I am this or I am that. Um, mm-hmm. But they can also be limiting philosophies, right? Like I'm not a, I like if I was like, I'm, I'm just not a detail oriented person or I just can't keep up with things. Like, yeah. It's true that that's my tendency, but if I'm going to embrace that and live in it and never tell myself I'm that's just me, I'm not yeah. going to grow out of yeah. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like you just give up trying because it's like case closed. That's not my strong point. So I'm not even going to try. Yes. And that's the danger with any like Enneagram behavioral assessment. They can be used in such amazing ways, but I think that that is the trap of them is yeah. saying this is it and this is all it is. And <laughs> this is how point. I live for the rest of my life. Yeah. That's such an important piece to be reminded of. Um, well, this has been incredible. I don't know if there's anything else you're itching to say before we wrap up. I think we covered it all. <laughs> this has been amazing. Thank oh, you so much for this conversation. Thank you. I, I It wasn't quite the five-hour conversation that I'm hoping we can eventually have. <laughs> we'll, we'll have another more. one. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Bethany. Thank you, Beth. Thank you.